Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1 in our Bibles. Galatians chapter 1. And if you didn't know, uh, it's a special holiday this weekend. Did you know? Uh, it is Reformation Sunday. What? Wait, huh? Uh, I thought it was Halloween weekend. Yes, yes, you're right. It is uh, Halloween weekend, but it is also Reformation Sunday. Um, a huge... Um, a huge holiday or celebration day in the Christian faith. And many are like, well, what is this Reformation Sunday? We're going to talk about it today. How about a little bit of church history today? Oh, history class. No, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not ready for this. Uh, history goes a little bit further back <clears throat> than the last 30 years. Did you know that in, in church? When you say, uh, what, what has happened in the last thousand years of, of church? Uh, many would say, uh, well, well, um, uh, Billy Graham? Uh, no, no, thousand years, thousand years. Uh, we have a hard time pulling up. We don't know our heritage. We don't know where we came from. We don't even know how we got here, most of the church. And so I try to take one day out of, out of the year to talk a little bit of church history. Is that okay? And it is uh, Reformation Sunday. And so we'll have some fun. We'll watch a video today and uh, see some pictures of uh, what caused all this to take place. But <clears throat> Galatians chapter one in our Bibles. And if you're taking notes today, the title of the message is The Counterfeit Church. The Counterfeit Church. And today we celebrate 505 years of the Reformation of the church. And when I say that term, many have all kinds of different ideas. Uh, they look from all kinds of different angles. And I'm hoping to bring clarity to all of that today. Heard of a story. Maybe you heard this one too. After getting all of the Pope's luggage loaded into the limo, and he doesn't travel lightly, the driver noticed that the Pope is still standing on the curb. Excuse me, sir, uh, says the driver, would you please take your seat so we can leave? Well, the truth is, uh, the Pope says, they never let me drive at the Vatican, and, and I'd really like to drive today. I'm sorry, but I can't let you do that. I'll lose my job. And what if something happens? Protests the driver, wishing he had never gone to work that morning. There might be something extra in it for you, says the Pope. Reluctantly, the driver gets in the back of the limo, and the Pope climbs behind the, the, the wheel. The driver quickly regrets his decision when, after exiting the airport, the Supreme Pontiff floors it, accelerating to 105 miles per hour. Please slow down, slow down, please, the worried driver, but the Pope keeps the pedal to the metal until he hears sirens. Oh dear, oh dear God, I'm going to lose my license, says the driver. The Pope pulls over and rolls down the window as the cop approaches, but the cop takes only one look at him and goes back to his motorcycle and gets on the radio. I need to talk to the chief, he says to the dispatcher. The chief gets on the radio and the cop tells him he stopped a limo uh, going 105. The chief says, so bust him. He says, I don't think we can do that, sir. He's really important. Uh, the chief explained, all the more reason, bust him. No, no, I mean he's really important. The chief then asks, well, who, who you got in there? The mayor? Cop says, bigger. Uh, the chief says, governor? No, 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 bigger. Well, well, said the chief, who is it? Cop says, I think it's God. <laughs> the chief says, well, what makes you think that? Cop says, he's got the Pope for the limo driver. <laughs> bang, bang. 
It's just a joke. Kind of. <laughs> Counterfeit money is a problem in the United States. Did you know that? The only way to combat this is to train people in handling the real money so well that they can instantly tell if one bill is counterfeit to another or a machine tries to catch it sometimes it takes hours the same is true with the counterfeit church preacher or religion what you do with the counterfeit money is you train a person in the real money you if they handle millions and millions of dollars in their hand when the fake one comes across their fingertips they can feel it and they can see it very quickly. They can discern between the real thing because they, and the fake thing because they handle the real thing all the time. And the same is true with the counterfeit church, the counterfeit preacher, or the counterfeit religion. When we handle the Word of God so much, when we know the Scripture so well, we are able to detect a counterfeit quickly. It's very easy if you're handling this all the time and you have this in your heart and in your mind. It doesn't matter if you're sitting down with somebody for coffee or if you're listening to a sermon online or you're reading an article. As soon as uh, you sense something's off, you, you can detect it very quickly um, if you are in the Word of God, if you understand it. The counterfeit is easy to find. One of the greatest counterfeits of Christianity was happening 500 years ago. And a lot of it is still happening today. It was a time when the Roman Catholic Church was posing as the only true Christian church. But when you look at their teachings and how they were taking advantage of people and using Christ and the Bible for power, uh, we see they were and still are in many ways a counterfeit church. How so? Uh, let me uh, identify what counterfeit is before we dive into this. But it, the word counterfeit is made an exact imitation of something valuable or important with the intention to deceive or defraud. Now, before we dive into this, I want to be sensitive to those raised in the culture of the Catholic Church. I know they, there are very loving, genuine people in the church. I met and know many personally myself. I do believe there are many in the church who are true believers and who love the Lord Jesus with all of their heart and who love the scriptures as well. Um, but we also know that a lot of what is happening in there is wrong. The hierarchy and the leadership really have no excuse. They know their own teachings, and they know their own doctrine, and they know what they are doing. They know people are being taken advantage of, and it's not okay to turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to these things. They will actually stand before God for these things. And so, again, I want, I want to lend a hand, really, to any who grew up in the Catholic Church and have, have an understanding of it and love the Lord with all your heart and love, love the Word of God. Um, this is not an attack against anyone uh, from, from that angle. This is really an attack at the hierarchy who no one understand these things and who no one understood these things 500 years ago but are still doing some of these rhythms to this day. And this denomination, obvious, is still the greatest denomination on the planet regarding Christianity. And many times when you tell somebody you're a Christian, they think that you're Roman Catholic or they, they think you're Orthodox. Um, they think Jesus is Catholic. Um, most of the world does when you tell them you're a Christian. They like, or you talk about Jesus, like, oh, he's a Catholic guy. And like, no, no, that's, that's, you got to read this and you'll see who he really is in there. Uh, 
And so we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1 briefly in our Bibles. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to look at it uh, to be reminded of this very truth, how important it is in this day and age. Because, gosh, we want people to know the true Christ. We want people to know the true God. And the best way to do that, church, is just to go to the source, I dare you. Just read it for yourself. Check it out. Read it. I had a guy challenge me just uh, probably two or three months ago. I'll never forget it. And he was sitting there looking at me, telling me that the Bible said all kinds of things that it doesn't. And I don't know what kind of preacher or pastor he thought I was, but he didn't think that most preachers or pastors really read the Bible or something. And maybe they don't. Maybe the guys that he came in contact with uh, act this way. But he's like, well, well, would you be willing to sit down at coffee and go through every single verse line by line through the New Testament and we'll see what Jesus really says? I was like, oh, baby, this is what I love. <laughs> he looked at me like, what? As if every single person prior had said, absolutely not, I don't have time for that. I'm like, this is what we do. This is the words of Christ. This is Christianity, word by word, line by line. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him. Remember whose word it is, not mine. I cannot change your heart or your mind. God's word can only do that. So we look to his word every single week. Galatians 1 verse 1, Paul an apostle, not sent from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of, uh, of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. He says to the church in Galatia, I marvel that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to the gospel we have proclaimed to you, let them be accursed. As we have said before, so I had to get, say it again. Now, if any man is proclaiming to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Father, that you would reveal its truth to us again today. That we would anchor in your word once again. That we go back to the truth, back to the real thing, and that we would handle it today in such a way that it would cause us to see the counterfeits of the world so that we can warn others and help others to escape those trying to fool them. We pray, God, that you would be glorified in this day So we open your word as we study it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The church of Galatia were really being attacked by outsiders, those who were coming into the church trying to deceive them with a new gospel or a different gospel, a different message. And this is still going on to this day. And really, I want to, I want to let you know that this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Did you know that? This idea that God has said something different than he has. And this is the debate to this day and age of all religions. What has God really said? 
Back to the Garden of Eden, do you remember God said, you shall not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. And then what does the serpent do? He comes up, Satan comes up and says, has God really said that? Did God really say that? And Eve or Adam should have pulled out their little Gideon little, little pocket Bible and said, actually, he did say that. But they didn't. See, the enemy always wants to change the word of God, change the truth. And the same is true in this day and age. The truth is always subtly changed. It has a bit of truth in it in order to trap you. Just like the counterfeit dollar, it looks like an exact replica. But we know as we look closer at it, we can see that it is fake. The same is happening today with churches, with religion, with pastors, with preachers. There are many trying to take advantage, and this is why I want to equip you, church, with this. Here you go. You read it for yourself. You take a look at what it says. You be a Berean, one who studies and knows the Word of God and understands it so well, no matter what preacher stands in front of you, you say, that is not right. The Scripture says this. The Lord Jesus says this. You can go back to the source anytime you want. Tomorrow, October 31st, we will celebrate 505 years of the Protestant Reformation. Do you know what the word Protestant means? Protest. This is what the word means, protest. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about church history with that in mind. Church history is important. History is important. Most of the time we think of boring dates, places, names. But why is remembering the Holocaust or genocides or wars or freedom of slavery important? It reminds us of where we've come from. It reminds us of our past. It reminds us of what we should not do. And it reminds us of what we should do when we see truth. And it reminds us what we should be doing in the future. We are never to go there again. We're to do something different. As I said earlier, most Christians' understanding of church history is Billy Graham. But do you know that Jesus and the Holy Spirit has been moving in churches like ours for 2,000 years? That there has been gatherings like this for 2,000 years. Think about that. In the year 400, in the year 500, in the year 600, in the year 700, in the year 800, in the year 900, in the year 1,000, the millennium. Every single hundred years, churches like this meeting all over the planet. Think about all the church plants over 2,000 years. All the preachers and pastors. Think about the men and women who have died to carry the gospel and the Bible in English to us today. Do you even know? People have died so that we can sit here like this and have an English Bible and meet freely like this. Did you know that? Thousands upon thousands have given their lives, millions given their lives. If you would like a little bit of church history and some practical church history that's kind of fun to read, there are four volumes I would recommend to you. It is called 2,000 Years of Christ's Power, and it is written by Nicholas Needham, 2,000 Years of Christ's Power, four volumes. Today we will look at the Reformation, which 
began 500 years ago on October 31st, 1517, when a man by the name of Martin Luther started a, revol a revolution, really a revolt against the Catholic Church and their teachings. Many believe that Luther didn't have any idea of what was starting, like a single match being lit to start a fire in a giant forest. He had no idea the impact that it would make on the world today. Who would have known that a German monk in the 1500s would basically impact the planet and the free world uh, here in America today? That we can worship freely, um, that we can build freely, that we can create freely. We are not under the, the rule of uh, the Roman Catholic government anymore. And um, it's amazing because to, to think that because Martin Luther stood up to the Roman Catholic Church, who was also the government, that we have an English Bible in our hands today. And we are not anywhere near close to a perfect good nation. We're broken like all nations, no doubt. But the reason why a lot of people in the world want to live here and immigrate here is because of our freedom to worship, build, and create. Um, that's why. we can Freedom of worship. You can literally do whatever you want, any kind of worship, as long as you're not hurting another person. You can build any type of religion you want, literally right here. You can create anything that you want. The sky is the limit. And many come to this this country from other countries and do exactly that. They just see lazy Americans sitting around everywhere. They're like, forget this. I'm going to take advantage of this. And they just take over everything. And it's beautiful and it's good. These rights were built into our constitution and they come from God and his word and not from man or government. Again, our nation is not perfect by any means. We have many faults and many problems. But the foundation, what keeps, keeps us kind of semi-moving in the right direction, and even have these abilities to debate and argue. If you debate and argue with the Catholic Church or the government back then, they just kill you. Sorry, bye, bye, you got to, bye. You may be protesting around here. And what happened was, is Martin Luther was inside. He was in the government. He was a monk himself. He was a priest himself. And he knew the language. And he was articulate. And he was brilliant. And he was able to stand up against and literally get the word out to as many people as possible. According to our founding fathers, Mr. Thomas Jefferson, it is self-evident truth, or if you prefer a sacred and undeniable truth, that they, the people, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, and that are among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Benjamin Franklin, the American printer, publisher, author, inventor, scientist, diplomat, one of the foremost of the American founding fathers said, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. We are not to be giving up one drop of it. We are not to give up any liberty whatsoever. We need to hold on to all the freedoms we have. These freedoms are rights, and they are given to us by God alone, according to our founding fathers. They're not given to us by the government. They're given to us by God. The reason America is still so free today is because of the Constitution that was laid for Americans and our, this foundation of this country. And these, these 
principles come right from this. And then they scale all the way back to Martin Luther because, once again, if there was not a revolt against the Catholic Church and the Roman Catholic government and this being put into a, a language that you can understand, people would then not have ever revolted. And then once they revolted, they came to see this is not right. The suppression of people, this is not right. And this is what really caused these men to leave Europe and to come here and to build this new place with new ideas, freedom and justice for all. While we have not exercised this perfectly, not even close to perfectly, we've exercised this many times bad within our own country, the principles are still here and we get to keep building upon it. It's very important that we see that these freedoms come from God and his word. Uh, it doesn't matter who's in power. It doesn't matter who is trying to lead or direct. We say, no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, God said this long before you, my man. Uh, long before you. And so we will hold to him no matter what. Martin Luther saw this 500 years ago when the Roman Catholic Church had taken away the rights and the abilities of the people to live and worship freely. And he gave them back the power by challenging the church. And it started a revolution, which we call the Reformation. And that is how we are here today. That's part of who and what God used. Amazing. A broken German monk. Listen to some of the details of Martin Luther's story. Luther proposed an academic discussion of the practice of indulgences. Do you know what the practice of indulgences were? As was mentioned in the video, literally, wealthy people could walk in with cash and be like, um, can I like buy my way into heaven? Uh, can I purchase a ticket? And they're like, actually, yes, you can. Uh, the price for you, three easy payments of $29.95, my friend. And if you want your dead grandfather to get in there too and your auntie to get in there as well, you can make another payment for them as well and we'll sneak them in the back door, I'll go have a conversation with God. Let's see what you do. And they were making people pay all of this money to the church, promising them salvation. Now we know, scripture and verse please, that is not found here in the text. You can't buy your way to heaven. It's free. God has given it freely. Because he paid the price. That was just one of the 95 things he wrote down on a piece of paper and nailed to the Catholic church door. The, this uh, these thesis in 1517 he nailed to the Catholic Church. And he just wanted to debate it and talk about it like good monks and priests do, but they didn't want to talk. They wanted him to renounce all of it. And when Luther arrived in Worms, this is a place, at part of a triumphal procession, the emperor and church officials expected him to recant his 95 thesis. Say, we know we come to discuss, and we can't wait for you to recant all these 95 things you have pointed out. So there he is standing in front of the church leadership of, of the Roman Catholic Church, the government. Luther's books that he had written against the church were placed on a table in front of them. He was then asked if they were his works and whether he wanted to recant any of the information. And Luther then requested, again, this is, the, this is the leader of the world he's standing in front of. And Luther then requested time to think over his reply. And the next day, he showed up and answered with this well-known speech. He said to them, to the Pope and to all the leadership standing there, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes in council, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. 
Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Can you believe that? Uh, he drops a bomb on them. Uh, I don't think many would go to the Vatican today and go do something like this. This is wild. He's part of them. And he literally looks him in the face with his garb on. And he refuses to renounce. His refusal to renounce all of his writings at the demand of Pope Leo X in 1520 and in 1521 before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V resulted in his excommunication by the Pope and condemnation as an outlaw by the Emperor. You are an outlaw. We will find you and we will kill you. Luther had to go into hiding. What was Luther teaching? Here are just some of the things. Luther taught that salvation and eternal life are not earned by good deeds, but are received only as the free gift of God's grace through the believer's faith in Jesus Christ as redeemer from sin. Salvation is not by works, but by faith alone. That was enough to get him condemned. Just saying that salvation was free. You don't have to pay any money. Newsflash, everybody. What? I want my money back. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the scripture says, you, you Bible students know very clearly, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God to you, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Can you imagine never being able to read the Bible because it wasn't in your own language, and all of a sudden you open to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and you see it is a gift from God. What? Salvation is a gift from God to me? I don't have to do anything to earn it. He just wants to give it to me for free. Why? Who paid for this? Look to the cross. Jesus paid for it already. Appraise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. His theology also challenged the authority and office of the Pope by teaching that the Bible is the only source of divinity revealed knowledge from God and oppose the office of priest by considering all baptized Christians to be a holy priesthood. Did you know that all of you are priests? What? Yes, call me Priest Joshua from now on. Thank you very much. <laughs> Father Joshua sounds better though. Okay, I'll take that as well. You're all priests. He challenged the priesthood saying, you are not the priests of the earth. All believers in Jesus Christ are priests. Guess who said that? Do you know who said that in the Bible church? Peter, who they think was the first pope, though Peter never said that he was the first pope. It never says it once in scripture. And, he and never moved in that authority. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You, church, are the holy priesthood. Why did the Catholic Church get this wrong? They know. They can read. They're brilliant. There's some amazing scholars in there. Luther also challenged the Catholic claim of apostolic succession. The doctrine says that the line of Roman Catholic popes extends through the centuries all the way from the Apostle Peter to the current pope. 
This unbroken chain of authority makes the Roman Catholic Church the only true church and gives the Pope preeminence over all churches everywhere. But we know Christ is the head of the church, not the Pope. Peter was not the first Pope or, or a Pope ever. The Bible never teaches that. Jesus has been the Pope from day one. He has always been the head of the church. No one else has ever been the head of the church. Not one human being on the planet is ever the head of the church. And if anybody tries to take position of that, they're false. Luther also taught against the Roman Catholic Church belief in apostolic succession and the infallibility of the Pope when speaking ex cathedra. Catholics place church teaching and tradition on a level equal to scripture itself. This is one of the major differences between the Roman Catholics and the Protestants and one of the formal issue, uh, foundational issues leading to the Protestant Reformation. When the Pope speaks ex cathedra, which he can still do to this day, he can literally say, I speak ex cathedra, and he says, I am speaking for God now. Yes. This is scary. You literally stand on the planet and say, I know what God is saying. I'm going to speak for the Almighty right now. And what I say is scripture. This is scary. This is true. I'm not making this stuff up. You can go read their own teachings. You can read it yourself. It's online. The traditions in the Pope's words or teachings are not on the same level of scripture. He is not God. Scripture are the words of God. He is not the place of Christ or in the position to write new scripture ever. No one is. The Catholic leadership has been teaching their own doctrine made by themselves for thousands of years, and Martin Luther just stood up against it and protested. I don't, I'm sure he was probably actually being, I was going to say he wasn't being a jerk about it, but I think he actually was. Because he's kind of, he was a stubborn, rebellious guy. But this is why we are Bible-believing Christians today. My greatest gift to you is this. Because even if one day I start teaching something that is wrong, I hope that you would still hold to this. That is what is important. My heart's desire is to hold to this forever. And that God would keep me in it. Because men and women are fallible. We mess everything up. So we got to keep going back to the source, the truth. It is rare to find people with Bibles, did you know, at a Catholic church service, to which is called Mass. No one knows their Bibles, most of them. They just listen to whatever the priest says. Who are we really following, the made-up teachings of men or the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ? I choose the Bible word for word with no compromise. I remember when I was probably 17 or 18, I remember going to Mass with one of my buddies when I was young. And the only two people with a Bible in the place was me and the Catholic priest. We were the only two people with Bibles. And my buddy thought I was crazy to bring it with me. And then I remember when the moment came to receive communion, which I love the Lord and I love his word, I went to receive communion. My buddy was like, oh, no, no, you, 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 don't, you, don't, you can't take communion. You got to do first communion. You got to do all this other stuff. I'm looking like, what do you mean? Like, the scripture clearly says that believers need to partake of communion. You should be celebrating the table. What do you mean? He's like, you got to go like this when you walk up to the priest. You know, I'm like, what? And so I walked up to the priest and I remember I was like, <sighs> I didn't know what to do. I forgot what it was representing and what was going on. 
But Martin Luther challenged the very foundation of the teaching of the Catholic Church, and it started a revolt and a protest, Protestant, protest, that has lasted even into this day. And that is why we call ourselves Protestants. Protesters of those who don't hold to the word of God alone. Okay? One of Luther's greatest missions was translating the New Testament Bible from Latin to German in just 10 weeks. What did you do in the last 10 weeks? <laughs> Me too, don't worry. <laughs> he translated the whole thing into the plain language of the people. He says, I know you guys have not been able to read this for thousands of years, but here you go. He made it more accessible to the average person. And this event had a tremendous impact on both the church and German culture. Can we put the printing press up? Magically, at the time, at the time when this German monk was translating the Bible, magically, the moment in history, this thing shows up. It just so happened to shows up show up around the time when he is translating the Bible into common, the common language of the day. And of course, you can't make a bunch of copies with your hands. They were able to go from, I think, I, I think it was somewhere between like 40 to 100 pages or something in handwriting to like 3,600 pages per day. In Germany around 1440, this goldsmith, Johannes Gutenberg, invented the printing press, which started the printing revolution. Modeled on the design of the existing screw press, a single Renaissance printing press could produce, there it is, up to 3,600 pages per workday, compared to 40 by hand printing and a few by hand copying. The, the relatively unrestricted circulation of information and revolutionary ideas transcended borders, captured the masses in the Reformation, and threatened the power of the political and religious authorities. The sharp increase in literacy broke the monopoly of the literate elite on education and learning and bolstered the emerging middle class. All of these people, you know knowledge is power, of course. They, they just didn't know. And as soon as they got the information in their hands and they could read it in their own language, it blew the doors off everything. Luther's, if you didn't know, his hymns, the hymns that he wrote, influenced the development of singing in the Protestant churches. His hymns that he was writing were like bringing rock and roll music into the church or something bring electric guitars into the church or something. He was blowing the lid off of the church because he read the scriptures for himself and said, wait a minute, uh, why, why, I don't see any problem with that. Why can't we do this? His marriage to Katharina uh, von Bora, a former nun, set a model for the practice of clerical marriage allowing Protestant clergymen to marry. All male priests, or all priests, basically in the Catholic Church, still to this day can't marry. Where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't. So you know what Martin Luther did? He went to the nun house. <laughs> and he stole Catherine von Bora. It's hilarious. He stole a nun from the nun house and went and got married. And he broke the practice 
of celibacy in the Catholic Church. And they were appalled by that, really. We would just set all these men free already. We wouldn't have so many problems in the Catholic Church hierarchy. Hello, is anyone thinking? And step two, where does it say it in the Bible? The Catholic Church killed anyone. They killed anyone and everyone who tried to stand against them and their teachings. Uh, how many of you have been to the Vatican City? Anyone? Man. Do you know where they got all that stuff? Yeah, you know, like you, you walk into one of our museums here and you see one head statue. One head statue and you're like, that's incredible. That thing is 2,000 years old. There is a hall you walk down the Vatican City and you walk down, there's like a thousand of them, five thousand. The walls are laced with these head statues. I mean, you're like, where did you get all these things? Oh, oh, you ransacked and pillaged hundreds if not thousands of cities and stole all of it and placed it in the Vatican. That little square mile is worth more than all the money on the planet. They could literally solve all of the problems of water and hunger and all of the... It's all is sitting there. All the cash you would ever need to take care of the planet is sitting right there. But they're not going to do it. To put into context, if I was preaching this sermon 500 years ago, I would be a wanted man. Wanted dead by the church for preaching just what the Bible says. For preaching exactly what it says. And so I hope that that contrast would let you feel how much freedom we have today with this in our hands. I want to close with the five solas, okay? If you're taking notes, this would be a good time to write some things down. The reformers came together and settled on five doctrinal truths. And these truths answered these very important questions that were being abused by the church back then. And they are truths we should hold in this day so that the church can never abuse it again. How is a person saved? Where does religious authority lie? What is the church? And what is the essence of Christian living? In answering these questions, the Protestant reformers developed what we would know today as the five solas. Sola being the Latin word for alone. Sola means alone. These five things, these five essential points of biblical doctrine clearly separate Protestant church from the Roman Catholic church. And I want you to know them so it never happens again. So you can identify a counterfeit quickly. When you know the truth well, you can identify it anytime. The five solas. Number one is sola scriptura. Scripture alone. Number one, scripture alone. The Bible alone is our highest authority. The, re the reformers stood upon the word of God before his opponents and Luther cried. He says, I am convinced by scripture alone. I'm sorry, nothing else will convince me. I don't care what word you got from God. Um, if it doesn't align with his word, you're wrong. And that's still true to this day and age. Anybody stands up and says, thus saith the Lord, I start grabbing for a rock. <laughs> Come on, it's a joke. Lighten up. That's what they did in the Old Testament, though. Um, you don't say things like that. The only way I'm saying, thus saith the Lord, is what, then I say scripture right after that. You stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, you better be right because you're speaking for God. You're going to stand before him one day for saying that. 
You know, you say something about me and you get it wrong, you know, whatever. You say something about God and get it wrong um, and you're representing him, that's dangerous. Remember Moses did this. Remember what God cost him? You're not going to the promised land. You misrepresented me. And there are many false prophets in the Old Testament who died and were killed for speaking falsely for God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man may be complete, equipped for every good work. Number two, sola fide. Sola fide, it means faith alone. We are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ, not by any works or deeds, nothing. You mean when I help that old lady cross the street, I don't get anything for that? It's not getting me closer to heaven? That's good that you did that. Thank you for loving your neighbor, but that's not how you get to heaven. But it's interesting if you walk up to people on the street and say, hey, are you going to heaven when you die? They're like, I'm a good person. I do good things. When the Bible literally says the opposite, that is by believing on Christ alone, that's what gets you to heaven. It's not by doing anything. Romans 4, 4, now the one who works, his wages are counted, not counted as a gift, but his due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Galatians 2, 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The Bible is very clear. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Number three, if you're taking notes, sola gratia. Grace alone. Scripture alone. Faith alone. Grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. God's grace is everything for the Christian. By grace alone, by God chose his people before creation. By grace alone, Christ chose to die for his people. By grace alone, God causes his people to be born again so that they are new creations. And decisively, God's grace transforms us into a holy people. Our deeds earn us death. Our works followed Satan. We were dead in our sin. Mary could not save us, the saints could not deliver us, the law could not justify us, but God shows up. And by his grace we are saved. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's his grace, it's his doing alone. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Romans 11.5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. How do we miss this? It's like so crystal clear, you have to hide it. 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God alone I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Point number four, if you're taking notes, solus Christus. Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. 
If anyone is saved, it is on the basis of Christ alone. There is salvation in no one else. God gives no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Acts 4.12. Muhammad will not save you. Buddha will not save you. Mary will not save you. The Pope cannot save you. Your parents cannot save you. The president cannot save you. Yoga poses cannot save you. <laughs> They're nice sometimes, but they can't save you. This truth separates Christianity from all falsehoods. Sinners are saved in Christ alone. The Lord Jesus is our King. He is the head of the church. He is the Savior. He is the one. Jesus alone, his cross alone, to his glory alone. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And that means no one. No one can get to God in any other way. It's through him alone. Point number five, and finally, soli deo gloria. To the glory of God alone. We live for the glory of God alone. Tigers exist, butterflies exist, mountains exist, forests exist, music exists, art exists, humans exist, the solas exist. Everything exists for the glory of God. All rivers lead to this ocean. All creatures will bow and pay homage to their king. All of them. Everyone will turn to him. Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Romans 11.33. Oh, the depths of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways and his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. To no one else. These are essential teachings and doctrines of Christ, and we are to guard them with the, Re the Reformation. And guarding God's word is still needed today. Did you know? It is needed in this day and age. There is so much. It's like with the internet, it's almost like the printing press. Like it's spread wide and far. Praise God, there's good teaching. But man, the, the terrible teaching and doctrine and teachers and people just trying to take advantage of people for money, it is so sad. We have so many churches in this day and age who don't teach the Bible. The New Age Church, so many counterfeits, people being deceived, take advantage, abused, and ripped off. 2 Timothy 4.3, listen church, there will come a time, Paul said 2,000 years ago, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them numbers of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I just saw online, there's an app that just came out where this guy's talking and he's like, you can build your own religion. You basically can choose and select. We have thousands of teachers on here. And what you do is you pick and choose all the different teachers of the different religions that you like and you can build your own ideas. I literally think like, what, you, you think God is a buffet or something? Truth by definition is exclusive. By definition. What is the truth? No, there are thousands of truths. Oh, really? How do you know that's true? 
Oh, I don't. Because you have no source of truth. Thus, nothing is true. Thus, nothing is truly right. Nothing is truly good. And anything goes. Anything not built on the word of God is a house of cards, Paul Washer said. It will fall. The church needs to get back to the word of God alone and throw away the wisdom of the world and the culture. The closing verse from the wisest man to ever walk the earth, Solomon. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. For God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret, th secret thing, whether good or bad. Every secret thing, whether good or bad. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a man sweeping the streets or you're running the Vatican. God sees everything. Nobody gets away. We will all stand before him. Church, I want to exhort you in the name of Jesus. Please, please, please. I get to do this once a year. Please, hold on to this tightly. It was a gift given to us by God. Many men and women have given their lives to sustain it to this day and age. And so let's teach it to our own hearts. Let's teach it to our children and our children's children. And let's watch them worship and flourish and live in freedom and creativity all the days of their life, as God intended. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts and minds once again. That we wouldn't be against people for the sake of being against people. That we wouldn't even be against structures and denominations for the sake of it. But that we would simply be standing on your word. And loving you and loving your words and your truth and what you have said. And that we would love people. That your word would help, and na help us navigate through this this fog of the world that's so difficult to see through sometimes, that we would look back to true north, that we would anchor in your truth, that we would hold this compass closely to us, and it would navigate us through the seas of treachery before us. Oh God, give us wisdom. Holy Spirit, guide us in truth all the days of our lives. Bring us back to you over and over and over again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.